0: Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. The Bible reads from Matthew chapter 6 and verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. So we... Continuing our series through the Lord's Prayer, where we're looking at the Lord's Prayer line by line. We've looked at the first line, our Father in heaven. Last week, we looked at the second line, hallowed be your name. And today, we're going to be looking at the next two lines. And we read in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And there are actually two requests there. Firstly, your kingdom come, and then secondly, your will be done. But they're intimately connected. And so we're going to look at the two of them together. But this week, we're going to focus more on your kingdom. Next week, we'll focus more on your will. So, what do we mean by kingdom? We're praying your kingdom come, but, but what do we mean by kingdom? Well, the kingdom is the, the realm where the king rules. It's the, the area where the king has dominion, power and authority. It's the, the sphere where the king's will is done. And so God is the ultimate king. And so we're asking God to establish his kingdom on earth, to establish his rule, his reign, and his will on earth that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you might be thinking, okay, wait a second. Surely God is already king over both heaven and earth. Surely God rules over everything. Surely God's will is always done. Well, the answer to that question is yes and no. (laughs) You see, in the Bible, there's this kind of tension. On the one hand, in one sense, God is ruling. The Bible makes that clear in Psalm 103 in verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. He rules over everything, over all creation. God is the rightful king, and he does reign over everything, and he rules over everything. And we as Christians like to emphasize this and focus on this, especially in our worship songs. We always focus on this. But the Bible also says that God hasn't yet established His kingdom on earth and that God doesn't rule on earth. Otherwise, why does Jesus say to us that we must pray, your kingdom come and your will be done if God has already established His kingdom and already rules and reigns on earth? So it might be helpful to understand something of the Jewish worldview at the time of Jesus. And this is Jesus' own understanding of the world as is clearly reflected in this prayer. They believed that uh, in one sense, God was ruling. But in another very real sense, the world was ruled by evil. By evil, dark, spiritual forces. And the New Testament makes this claim many times, but most of the time it merely assumes it because this is the worldview that they had. So for example, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, it says, We know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Under the control of the devil, of Satan. And the evil one, the devil and Satan, is referred to many times in the Bible as the prince of this world. For example, in John chapter 12 and verse 31. The god of this age in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. The ruler of the kingdom of the air in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. It's, it's mentioned many times in the New Testament that the world is ruled by evil. It doesn't take much to convince most people that God is not ruling the world and that evil is ruling. With all the greed and the corruption, with all the exploitation and injustice and poverty, with all the hunger and starvation, with all the the, the, the fighting and resentment and wars, with all the illnesses and diseases, with, with all the death and decay, it doesn't take much to convince most people That God is not ruling, but evil is ruling the world. You see, the world is not the way God intended it to be. Because of sin, because of human sin, evil, sin, and death are ruling. Ever since the fall, ever since Adam and Eve, ever since the first humans turned their backs on God and started doing things their own way rather than God's way, evil, sin, and death have been ruling. And so there's this tension. There's this paradox within the Bible. In the one sense, God is ruling, but in another very real sense, God is not. How do we resolve this tension? Well, in some ways we can't. We just have to live with that tension. But it might be helpful to to understand, once again, something of the Jewish worldview. They understood that all time was divided into two ages. This age and the age to come. And they believe that we all live in in this age, this present age that is ruled by evil. But they are looking forward to what they call the day of the Lord. You see this in the Old Testament prophets quite a lot. The day of the Lord. The day that God is going to intervene. The day that God is going to step into history through his Messiah and establish his kingdom, his rule and his reign upon the earth. In that day, all evil will be judged. There will be justice and, and it will usher in the new age where the whole world will be renewed and restored and everything will become just the way God intended it to be. And so the way they lived with this tension was that they believed that this age, this current, present age that we're living in, this age was being ruled by evil, by evil, dark spiritual forces. But despite that, and over that, God was still ruling. He was still ultimately ruling in the sense that He was still directing and leading all history to the point of the day of the Lord when he would step in and establish his kingdom and the whole world would be renewed and restored. And so that's how they kind of lived and held this tension. They understood that God was ruling in that sense. So God was ultimately ruling even though currently evil was ruling. And so they were looking forward to and longing for the day of the Lord. The day when, when God's kingdom would come. And it's with this worldview in mind and, and within this cultural context that Jesus appears on the scene. And he says, Jesus says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying this is the day of the Lord. The the, old, the This current age is coming to an end and the new age is about to begin. He's saying that the kingdom of God is now breaking into the world in and through me. What he's effectively saying is, "This is the end of the enemy's occupation. I have come to take back my kingdom from the evil one." And that's why we read in the Bible in, in one John chapter three and verse eight, "The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work." And we see Jesus doing this through his ministry, through his teaching, through his forgiving of sins. Through his healing ministry, through his exorcisms, casting out of demons, and ultimately through his death and resurrection. For on the cross, evil comes upon Jesus. Evil does its worst to Jesus, but Jesus exhausts it of all its power. Death comes upon Jesus, but it's unable to hold Jesus. And three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. And he defeats evil, sin, and death. That's why we read in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities. That's that evil, spiritual, dark powers. That's that sin and death. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Evil, sin, and death have been disarmed. They've been defeated. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world. Now, you might be wondering, well, okay, so if Jesus has defeated evil, then why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there still so much greed and corruption and wars and fighting and impoverty and injustice? Why is there still so much evil in the world? And if the kingdom of God has broken into the world in Jesus, then why does Jesus tell us? To pray, your kingdom come. Well, over here we meet another paradox in the Bible. Because the New Testament simultaneously tells us that the kingdom of God is already present within the world and that the kingdom of God is a future event that we're still waiting for. Simultaneously, Bible scholars refer to this as the now but not yet shape of the kingdom of God. You see, on the cross, Jesus defeated evil, but he didn't destroy it. Evil is still alive and active today, but it is a defeated foe. So the kingdom of God, through the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God has started to break into the world. But it's not yet fully established. Only when Jesus returns will evil be completely destroyed and the kingdom of God fully established. So many people have likened this to World War II's D-Day versus V-Day. On D-Day, the decisive battle was won. From that point on, everybody knew that the allies were going to win. But the enemy was still alive and active. But they were a defeated foe. It was inevitable. V-Day would come. And at V-Day, finally, there was the end of the war. Jesus has achieved the D-Day for the kingdom of God. The decisive victory. He has defeated evil. The kingdom of God has already started to break into the world. But we're still waiting for V-Day, when evil will be completely destroyed and the kingdom will be fully established. The now, but not yet, shape of the kingdom of God. What are we praying for when we pray, your kingdom come? We're praying for two things. We're praying that the present kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God that's already present in the world because of Jesus, we're praying that the present kingdom of God would grow and expand. But secondly, we're praying that the future kingdom of God would be fully established, that Jesus would return and fully establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now there are a number of misconceptions about the kingdom of God. Uh, Earlier this week I was having a conversation with someone and uh, she shared with me how whenever she prayed the, the Lord's Prayer, she would pray really quickly when she got to the phrase, your kingdom come, because she thought that meant the end of the world. And that was like the last thing she wanted. And that just shows us how we don't truly understand what we're praying about or what that phrase means. Because the kingdom of God, it doesn't, it's not talking about the end of the world, but the beginning. With the Jews of Jesus' day, when you talked about the kingdom of God, they wouldn't be thinking this is the end of the world. They'd be thinking this is the beginning. Sure, it will be the end of this age, but it's going to be the beginning of the age to come. It's going to be when the kingdom of God is established and all evil is destroyed and the whole world is renewed and restored and the world will be just the way it should be. Imagine that. Imagine the world being just the way God intended it to be. Functioning just the way God intended it to. Imagine a world where there's no poverty or injustice. Imagine a world where there's no, no fighting, no wars, but peace, forgiveness, reconciliation, and healing between nations and healing between family members. Imagine a world where there's no exploitation, no starvation, no impoverty. Imagine a world where big businesses aren't driven by greed. And there's no corruption in politics. But selfless love is the motivating force in everything we do. Imagine a world like that. And then you're getting a glimpse and what the kingdom of God is like. This is not the end. This is the beginning. This is not something to, you want to avoid. This is something to get excited about. When we pray, your kingdom come. We're saying, we're longing for your kingdom to come soon. We're longing for it. Won't you please return and establish your kingdom? Hurry up. We're excited. A second misconception is that people have often spiritualized the kingdom of God. The whole concept has been spiritualized. It's been reduced to merely getting people to put faith in their faith in Jesus so they can have forgiveness of sins so they can go to heaven. But the kingdom of God is not about getting people into heaven. It's about getting heaven onto earth. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth. You see, heaven is God's sphere. In heaven, God's will is done perfectly and obeyed perfectly. We want God's will to be done perfectly and obeyed perfectly on earth. Now, of course, that includes people coming to faith and being forgiven, not so they can go to heaven, but so they can be part of Jesus' kingdom project of establishing God's kingdom on earth, of bringing heaven to earth. Thirdly, some people have assumed that it's got nothing to do with social political issues. I mean, if you assume the kingdom of God is all about getting people into heaven, the natural assumption is, well, then that's got really nothing to do with ecology or peace or social justice or racial equality or the refugee crisis, or the land rights, or anything like that, because these are political issues that are are all this worldly, and the kingdom of God, we all want to focus on the kingdom of God, which is in heaven. And so they would claim, the only thing we need to focus on is, is making sure people put their faith in Jesus so that they can go to heaven. This was definitely my experience growing up in South Africa. People would say, don't worry about apartheid. Don't worry about racial inequality. That's a political issue. That's a this-worldly issue. The only thing we need to be focusing on is getting people, both black and white, getting people to put their faith in Jesus so they can go to heaven. I can even remember seeing a, a sign outside a church. We preach the gospel, not politics. What's the gospel? What's the good news? The good news is that the kingdom of God is breaking into the world through Jesus, and that has massive social-political ramifications. And if you don't like that, you can't pray the Lord's prayer and you can't be a follower of Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is all about a revolution, overcoming evil and establishing the kingdom of God. It's, it's a revolution, like no other revolution. It's not a revolution like most revolutions in the world. We don't fight with the weapons of the world. See, you don't overcome evil with evil. You don't overcome evil with violence and coercion. You can overcome evil with love and forgiveness. And so when we pray, Your kingdom come. We're praying that Jesus would return and establish his kingdom fully. But we also praying that we might be part of the revolution. That we might play our part in growing and expanding and establishing God's kingdom here on earth just as it is in heaven. And many followers of Jesus in the past have grasped this kingdom vision. In fact, many Baptist followers of Jesus have grasped this vision. We have a great history and a legacy as a Baptist denomination. In 1612, Thomas Helwes wrote a short declaration of the mystery of inequity. This is not only the founding document of the Baptist denomination, but it's the first plea for religious freedom in English. He writes, For men's religion to God is betwixt God and themselves. The king shall not answer for it, neither may the king be judged between God and man. Let them be heretics, Turks, that's referring to Muslims, Jews or whatever, it pertains not to the earthly power to punish them in the least measure. This is made evident to our Lord the King by the Scriptures. Take note that he's hes not arguing just that Baptists would have the freedom to worship God as they choose. He's arguing that people of all religions or none would have the freedom to worship God in whatever way they deemed fit. He was arguing that all people would have the freedom of conscience in matters of faith. Unfortunately, uh, King James I didn't appreciate his personally signed copy that was sent to him, nor did he appreciate the sentiment, and so he was thrown into prison where he remained until he died. He died so that others, he died so that we could experience freedom of religion and freedom of conscience. And God established his kingdom through him. And now we have freedom of religion in this country and in many others. Many others, uh, like William Carey. Who stood up for widows who were about who had faced the possibility of being burnt at at the stake because as part of these uh, sati rituals in India in 1819? And God established His kingdom through him, and we saw the end of those rituals. Christians like uh, William Nip uh, and uh, who spoke out against slavery in Jamaica, and Sam Sharp, a Baptist deacon in Jamaica, who played a a leading role in the Christmas Revolution in 1831. Other Christians like William Wilberforce, who was instrumental in the Slave Act, and was through these guys and people like them that God established his kingdom, and we saw the end of the slave trade in 1834. And it was people like uh, Dr. Ellen Farrer, who, uh, who not only uh, provided life-saving surgery in India in the late 1800s, hundreds, But she also spoke out for women's rights, both abroad and at home. In those days, women were not allowed to to practice medicine in the United Kingdom, but they were able to become missionary doctors and work abroad. And so she started campaigning for women's rights, and God established his kingdom through her, and we saw increasingly that women were recognized as doctors in this country and further afield. And many people in the past, followers of Jesus, have realized the need to step out in faith and make a difference. And God has established his kingdom through them, in them and through them. And we've seen the kingdom of God advancing. I hear you say, but how can I make a difference? I'm not a politician. I'm not a missionary. How can I make a difference? Well, there are many little things, simple things we can do that can make a difference for the kingdom of God simply by recycling and using less plastic, by buying fair trade products, by writing to your local MP to to uh, speak out and speak up for, for all the in, in injustices in the world, by volunteering and supporting various charities like our local food bank and Seven Corners or other charities that work with refugees or, or charities like Christian Aid and Tear Fund and Send a Cow and, and many others that we support here. Other charities that try to stop poverty and injustice and inequality within the world. By forgiving those who have wronged you, by loving your enemy, by showing the love of God to your friends and to the strangers that you meet, by offering practical and financial support to those in need, by cooking a meal for someone, by praying, praying for people, praying for healing. Praying that people would come to faith. And by sharing your faith in all of these ways, we will see the kingdom of God advancing. And God will establish His kingdom in you and through you. This is what it means to pray, Your kingdom come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray, Your kingdom come. Father, we thank you that we can pray that because Jesus has already won the decisive battle for us. We can pray that because your kingdom has already broken into the world through Jesus. And we thank you that you call us to be a part of your kingdom project. And that through us, by your Holy Spirit, we can step out in faith and make a difference. And through us, you can establish your kingdom and your kingdom can advance. Father, please forgive us when we so often have just spiritualized it. Ignored it, just focused on our own personal salvation. Father, may you give us a wider kingdom vision. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.